Well, this morning, I tell you what, that's some good singing. Uh, that family right there, uh, we've had a lot of groups in this church, and you know, we've had some pretty good ones with a lot of talent, but as far as just true worship, I don't think we've ever had one better. And I don't say that to bring praise to them. I just say thank you, you know. It's rare you get that uh, worship type atmosphere. I mean, a lot of musicians have talent. But few really, truly respect the Lord and love Him like these folks do. So I'm thankful for them this morning. Acts chapter 13 is where we'll be. I'll try keeping it very uh, short. I don't want to keep you too long this afternoon. Uh, But we will... As much as we enjoy the singing, as much as we enjoy bringing praise to the Lord that way, the Lord hath chosen the foolishness of preaching. So this morning, we will dive into the Word of God and hopefully we can learn something. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 14, we will read somewhat of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but at the end of the day, if I don't have anything to say, I know God's Word will. So Acts chapter 13 and verse 14 says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. They say, come on now, brothers, preach to us, is what they say. If you, if you want to give us a word of exhortation, go on with it. Verse 16, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an high arm brought them out of it. About that time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness, and when they had, and then when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And after afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis, a, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him. He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel... And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. And though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a sepulcher. 
But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen by many days of them which came up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you, glad tidings, how that promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. And that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another Psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is preached unto you for the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses, beware, therefore, lest that come unto you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and we're so thankful for what we've already felt. Lord, I'm thankful for the songs that have been sung. I'm thankful for the truth that has been declared already. But Lord, I pray now in the next few short moments that you would help us. I pray that your spirit would lead, guide, and direct in this service. And I pray that someone today would hear your gospel message and would turn to you. And Lord, I pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Christianity in general is dumbing down the gospel of Christ. They have taken something that is timeless that is unchangeable, and they have molded it into whatever they have seen fit. It was not long ago I was up at Cabela's. And I remember walking, obviously I have to be at Cabela's, because that's a man thing to do. If I were at Ross, I would change the name of the store to Cabela's. But just so you know, I was literally at Cabela's this particular time. I was in Cabela's, and I was probably, you know, Witnessing to some folks, sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Definitely not purchasing something that my wife would get mad at me if she knew I purchased. I was in Cabela's and I was walking the aisle and I remember seeing a man that looked extremely familiar. I, I, I could just make out his hair and he had this bright red hair. And so I kind of recognized his hair. And, I, and then I saw his wife and I knew for sure that I knew both him and his wife. And, and I went up to him and I say, hey... Did you go to West Coast Baptist College? Now this is at Arcabella's here. And he said, yeah, I did. I did go to, to West Coast. And I thought that was so crazy that, you know, we're 20 something hours away from California. And yet uh, a guy that I went to college with was right there. And I said, man, it's good to see you. How are you doing, Carl? He said, I'm doing good. The wife's doing good. I said, what are you doing in ministry? And he said, well, uh, I'm at this church and it's, it's a good church. Me and my wife have learned so much since we've been there. I said, that's great. I mean, if you're not learning, if you're not growing in your church, you need to find a different church. I was excited for him. 
And he said, one of the things that our pastor has taught us is that if you're an unfaithful servant of the Lord, you will spend a thousand years in hell serving punishment. And my heart broke. West Coast Baptist College is supposed to produce the next generation of champions for Christ. Same thing with Crown College, same thing with uh, Heartland, all the Baptist College. Our Baptist College are what's supposed to be producing the next generation of preachers. Or we're, we're supposed to be the people that are now the soldiers, that are now championing the cause of Christ. And I remember looking at a guy that was an upperclassman when I was there and he told me that his gospel had changed. This morning... I want to go back and I want to look at one of the very first sermons that Paul ever preached. I want to look back at the very first time that he ever was able to stand up and was able to proclaim the truth of God. And I want to make sure that our gospel aligns perfectly with his. There are three staples in an unchanging gospel message. The first staple is the person of the gospel is unchanging. Look here in verse 23. The person of the gospel is unchanging. Verse 23, the Bible says, Of this man's seed, speaking of David, hath God, according to His promise, promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now many Hollywood movies these days are telling us that Jesus was just a normal man. Many things that uh, many uh, heretics, many blasphemers would say that Jesus was no more than just a good teacher, was no more than just a, a good guy that a lot of people flocked to and followed. But this morning, as Paul points out to us, he was so much more than that. He was the promised Savior of the world. The first time we hear about Jesus, we hear about him in Genesis chapter 3. The promise of a Savior. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what happens now is God knows that there one day has to be an offering for sin. He says in Genesis 3.15 unto the serpent that the serpent would bruise the heel of the Savior, but the Savior would bruise his head. The Bible goes on to tell us in Isaiah chapter 7 that there would be a virgin birth and a virgin would conceive. Luke chapter 1, we finally see the fulfillment of that prophecy as the power of the Almighty overshadows Mary. You see, I'm here today to tell you that Jesus was not a normal person. And many churches and many preachers are telling us that He was no different than you and I. But I'm here today to tell you He was the promised Savior of the world. You see, I look at Christianity as a whole and I just... I see, how could you live knowing that Jesus was just someone normal? What what motivates you to be better than you are if Christ was no better than you are? Oh, there was so much in the Old Testament about Jesus. You see, the Old Testament has more about Jesus in it than the New Testament did. Go with me now to Mount Moriah as Abraham has taken his son Isaac up to the altar. He's now laid his son on the altar in a great act of obedience towards God. And he lifts that knife up in the air and 
And God says, Abraham, don't kill your son. I know that you trust me. I know. Don't kill your son. Abraham is obviously very relieved and very thankful for God saying not to kill his son. And then just so happens, as Abraham had promised, God would provide a lamb. And off over in the bushes, there's a little ram caught by his horns. And that was God's picture of Jesus Christ. God provided a lamb for Abraham. And I'm here today to tell you, just as the Old Testament saints looked forward to his Savior, we look back to his Savior. And God did provide a lamb. God did provide a sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ. He was a promised Savior, but secondly, he was a perfect Savior. Look in verse 28, the Bible says this, And though they found no cause of death in him, you know what, if they had looked as hard as they could have, if they would have put a private investigator on Jesus Christ for the three and a half years of his ministry, and even the 30 years before that, if they would have gotten every document, if they would have talked to every woman, every man that ever encountered Jesus Christ, they would have still had no reason to try him. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was sinless. He was 100% without fault, without error. 1 Peter 2.22 says, who, didn't, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin. You see, what me and you could not do in being perfect, Christ did. There's no way we could have lived a life. The law just pointed out where we were weak. It pointed out our failures and our flaws. But Christ came and lived in the flesh, but lived perfectly in the flesh. He was a perfect Savior. I recently read a story about a perfect man and a perfect woman who had a perfect courtship and then had a perfect marriage. Their life was absolutely perfect. One Christmas Eve night, they began to drive down some windy back roads and a storm set in. This perfect man and this perfect woman saw a stranded pedestrian on the side of the road. So they pulled over, being perfect, to render aid unto this man. As this man entered their vehicle, they noticed that this man was Santa Claus. So being the perfect man and the perfect woman, having the perfect marriage and Santa Claus, knowing they don't want to disappoint any of the children on Christmas Eve night, they gathered Santa Claus's toys and they began to drive Santa to the houses that he needed to go to and delivered the toys. But as the night got later, the conditions worsened. And I'm sad to say that the perfect man and the perfect woman and Santa Claus and all of his toys died in a car accident. One person, however, did survive. Can you guess who it is? The perfect woman, because she was the only one who ever existed in the first place. And every man in here right now is saying, well, the perfect woman must have been driving because that explains the car accident. (laughs) You see, truly, there has never been a perfect man besides our Savior, Jesus Christ. There never will be a perfect man. We are unable to live perfectly because the law points out where we're weak. Christ, however, can. 
came, lived under the curse of the law, and lived perfectly. I'm thankful today that God provided a perfect and a promised lamb. First staple is the person of the message cannot change. The second staple is the plot of the message cannot change. The plot of the message cannot change. Look in verse 28. The Bible goes on to say, And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. Now we all know the story how Christ does go to the cross. We know how he was delivered into the hands of sinful man. And the Bible says, as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth and basically laid himself on the cross so that sinful men like you and I could torture him and kill him. You know, there's three things that cannot be taken out of the gospel. The first thing is the death of Christ. How special the death is to us. And although that day on Calvary is marred with blood and it's marred with uh, terrible images and and the cross is a, a sign of torture and pain, for the Christian, it's a sign of victory. You see, for it is without the death of Christ, we could not have eternal life. Without the death of Christ, we could never know a relationship through Him to God the Father. You see, God's death on the cross that day, Christ's death on the cross that day, means so much to you and I. And it cannot be taken out of the gospel. Secondly, the burial. The burial, the death, the burial. You see, the burial is special to us because it is a picture of our old man dying. It is a picture, as as we picture it in our baptism, uh, we are buried with Christ in death. And what that's saying is, your old man is no longer to live anymore. We are buried with Christ. The Bible says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into death. Therefore, we are buried with Him into baptism by death. You see, it is a beautiful thing that Christ died and was buried. As the scripture said, though, he did not stay there. Amen. The first thing is death. The second thing is burial. The third thing, though, is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. I'm so thankful that Christ humbled himself and and I don't know why he did it, why he would humble himself to come to this earth and and die for a wicked sinner like me. I don't know why he would then go to the grave and stay there three days for me. But I'm thankful this morning that my faith is not placed in a God that is dead. I'm thankful that my faith is in Jesus Christ, the perfect, the sinless Son of God who had victory over the grave. How can I expect my God to give me victory over the grave if he couldn't do it himself? And I'm thankful this morning that the gospel involves the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ. You see, first Corinthians 15, Paul later in his ministry says this. Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel for I delivered unto you first of all that which I received. It's the same gospel that I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see this morning, the person of the message cannot change. The plot of the message, the death, burial and resurrection cannot change. But look with me finally, the plea of the message is not changing. 
Look in verse 39 of chapter 13. As every good preacher does, Paul is preaching his heart out and he's going over the history of just how good God has been to Israel. He's talking about the great promises that he's given them. He's talked about uh, David and how he was a man after God's own heart. And he's talked about now how God gave Jesus through the line of David. And it's just a great sermon. And then he gets to this in verse 39, verse 38, I'm sorry. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. See, the first plea is to appropriately decide. To appropriately decide. This day as Paul's preaching his heart out, as, as I stand up here and I preach to you this morning, I'm begging with you and I'm, I'm pleading with you that you would make a good decision. Paul lays out all the history of Israel. He, he then goes on to tell how good God's been. He goes on to say, Jesus is the only way to heaven, but it's your decision whether you'll choose him. Amen. This morning, friend, I have no doubt in my mind that there are lost people in this church. Amen. There is not even a hesitation for me to say that statement. There's someone sitting here now that does not know Christ as their personal Savior. And I'm preaching to the saints, the people that are saved, saying, don't we have a great salvation? But I'm preaching to you this morning. The person who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. I'm preaching to you to say, friend, God has done so much for you. He sent His Son on the cross of Calvary to die for you. Make an appropriate decision. Do not choose to follow your own path. Do not choose to follow the path of so many uh, uh, secular minds that say, I can be good and if I can do works, maybe I'll impress God. This morning, the decision is not whether you will trust in other gods. The decision is whether you'll trust in yourself or whether you'll trust in Christ. I hope you make a good decision because finally, the decision, the plea is to avoid death. Look in verse 41. The Bible says, Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. The work is the gospel. The work is the fact that Jesus Christ veiled Himself in flesh, came and died on the cross. And now Paul's simply saying this, Choose Christ... Or choose to die. I love this morning as Brother Scott said, even in death, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The Bible says that God hath given to us eternal life. And this is the life in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son hath not life. You see, life is not found in in some type of hobby in some type of a good type of work or something like that. Life is found in only Jesus Christ, in the person of the perfect Savior. And so this morning, Christian, this morning sinner that's never accepted Christ, I beg with you, I plead with you, make a decision to avoid death. Go with me this morning now in your mind. 
If we could go down to Harris downtown, we could go to their cancer ward, and we could walk down the halls, and we could see all these people that are struggling, that have expected date of death. The doctors have given them two, maybe three weeks, given them maybe a month at most, and and we can see these people who are riddled with pain, riddled with disease. Go with me this morning and and say me and you had concocted some type of formula that, that was the cure. And we walk into their room and say, we found the cure. Do you think that person would do whatever they could in their, in their might and their ability to attain that? This morning, I look at a bunch of people who were under a curse. And although it may not be cancer, it may not show up on an x-ray or any type of CAT scan, you're under a curse. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You understand this morning, maybe you don't have cancer, but you have sin. And the Bible says that it's not even cancer that kills you, it's your sin that kills you. Every one of us were under the curse of sin. But see, what God did, and the reason the gospel cannot change, is the fact that Jesus Christ did come. And the fact that Jesus Christ did die. And the fact that Jesus Christ stands up and says, Only believe in me, and you can have eternal life. My friend, why would you not accept this gift? It's free. It's lovely. It's special. And it will change your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed.